This is David Gans, Senior Fellow, Medical Group Management Association, interviewing Susan Childs. Susan is fellow American College of Medical Practice Executives and is the principal of Evolution Healthcare Consulting, Rougemont, North Carolina. Susan, do you want to give some of your background? Sure. Hi, Dave. Um, I started out my career in tax accounting and then moved into medical administration and I've worked uh, with a lot of different specialties, went into consulting on my own and I love what I do and I was also very active with ACMPE being the forum rep all the way to advancement chair. Education is a huge thing for me and I like doing that with offices and physicians and staff. Susan has written several t articles for the MGMA Connection and other publications, and even though much of her background is focused on revenue cycle, we're going to move a little bit different today and talk about the patient experience and what the role of the executive and senior manager is in the practice to optimize the patient experience and to view the organization as if you were a patient, because this pays off, and it pays off in both your revenue cycle management and also pays off in patient retention and it pays the organization in having a better patient experience and better patient ratings to their insurers. Uh, Susan, let's talk really overall. What is this concept of quality in a patient experience from your perspective? You know, my perspective is that every single thing from whenever you place the appointment all the way through getting the claim paid the patient experiences either a good or bad thing. And remember when a patient walks into your door, I think it's 94% of people already anticipate what's going to happen, and that's based on their last experience. Now, if it's a bad one, you have to kind of make up for it. But if it's a good one, that's really good, and hopefully it's with your office. But every single thing affects your income, and that's where the patient experience comes in. You want your patients to be happy and every single step of care, like I said, so placing the appointment, when the nurse greets you, however you're treated, definitely leads to how much that patient is willing to pay. They have to see a value for the service that they're getting or they're not wanting to pay for it. When I buy something or purchase something, I definitely want to see a value for it, and people are no different with health care. And a lot of people are having sticker shock with health care with high deductibles. So now we are actually looking for different venues, and people are selecting their physicians. And you want to be one of those people they select and where their health color, where their healthcare dollars go. I read one of your articles, and you talked about curb appeal. Yes. And you talked about what does your practice look like. And I had immediately thought of where, where I get my health care. And said, you know, this is important because your first impression that your patient has is important. And when they walk through the front door, what do they see? And it's even before they walk through the front door. Um, I think in that article I wrote, you know, do you have a bee's nest above the doorway and you're just not aware of it, which actually happened to me in a family practice. Because your staff never goes through the front. They just don't see it. You know, they don't see the lobby. They don't see the foyers. You don't see the worn out paint, that kind of thing. And first impressions are made in 12 seconds so you want to walk up to the to the receptionist area and you want that person smiling at you saying checking in or how may I help you that alone if if you can take the fear away with that first impression and make someone feel comfortable you've already done your job that's yeah. how I feel yeah and see and I think that senior manager that they may not walk through the front door either that's They're, right yeah. 
and walk out to the parking lot. What does the parking lot look like? Has it been cleaned? You, you may only be a tenant in the building, but your patients will think you are, you're the owner. Oh, yes. Whether, whether you're paying just rent or, or you actually have your, your name on the building, but you walk out, walk in, and put, your, put the eyes of a patient on, and you're going to see things you may, have, you may not have seen. And as an executive, you can change them. You can, and people don't often notice that because you're there eight hours a day. And it's interesting you brought up the parking because that's yeah. number three on the list of patient complaints is the parking and the mm -hmm. security and how, how people feel safe and lighting at night and stuff like that. And you bring up managers, and that's very true, and a lot of managers are not even there every day. So they can't feel the pulse of it, but they want to feel like they know what's going on. So what I say is you walk around, you spend time talking to people, you actually sit with them. Because if you sit with your staff members and you ask them, what do you like about your job and tell me how I can help you do your job, they will not only feel support towards the practice, but they feel support towards you and they feel valued, which equals staff engagement, which lends to patient engagement. So it's, it's truly a domino effect with, when you think about it, if somebody says something really nice to you, how does it hit you? If somebody is rude to you, it affects you a different way. So when the nurse comes out and calls your name blatantly and loudly and not nicely, it comes off as a different message than, hello, Susan, nice to see yes. you. And concept of looking at your organization in the eyes of the patient and trying to have fresh eyes. Yes. Because you things have, may have evolved that you, never, that you don't realize. You have a box of, of papers in the corner. You know, it's the old magazines in the waiting room rack. You, know? you just don't notice it as staff members. The other thing, and okay, so I'm gonna say two things. So as staff members, you don't notice things. I was just in an office that's an incredibly wonderful office, great staff. At their front desk, they have this closet that has all the software in it and they have to keep it open because of the ventilation, but all patients see when they walk in is a bunch of wires. And they never even thought about it. And they've even been asked, do you have the wiring for the whole building because there are so many wires? So I think it makes a difference. You know, the best and easiest way for anyone, no matter what level you're on, to look at a patient's experience is to think about yourself as a patient, your child as a patient, or your mother as a patient. Would you take them to this practice? Because that's what you want. You want to have the highest standard that you would take your family to. Also, it gives you the opportunity to maybe interpret those patients' satisfaction surveys in a better way. Because what are their comments? That sometimes the, the role of the, of the manager is, well, one, to read the comments, but more importantly, to ask the word why. Why does that patient have that impression? It, was it a one-off situation? Uh, you know, or was it something that you see a pattern? Is, is this an, an issue of, a, of one staff member interacting with one patient at one time? Or maybe you have a staff member that interacts with many patients Given, given a negative impression. So the best thing I like to do is run continual patient satisfaction scores because that way when you have somebody new at the front desk you're going to see exactly how they come across and you're going to see that pattern so you can address it much faster. And I like a continual. I think the best way to do a patient satisfaction survey is continually on every doctor take turns. You can color code, you can do whatever you want 
but this way you do get the continual feedback. You can pinpoint exactly. One main thing to remember about patient satisfaction surveys is to always leave areas for free text. Some satisfaction surveys will not give you information. They're just checking off yes or no, and you can't really pinpoint. And a lot of patients actually see this as an opportunity to finally say something when they've not had that opportunity to before. My friend had that and uh, with a survey. She was not able to say anything, and it really frustrated her, and she actually ended up changing doctors because she was never really too able to express her opinion. Yeah. Also, I think sometimes it's the more subtle elements of a, of, a, of a practice that can have a lasting impact. Good example, one of the articles you've written had to do with, you know, where's the patient scale placed? Your staff, yes. um, among the things they do yes. is that they need to take patient's weight, of course, part of the other vitals, because this is part of the permanent record. Mm -hmm. Is that scale in a private place? You, or, people or, don't think about it. They just don't. You don't. You yeah. know, I mean, it may not be in the view of other patients, but you have other staff nearby. In other words, is it near the? Is it near part of your nursing station, where your MA who's rooming the patient weighs the patient and then announces in a loud voice <laughs> how much you weigh? How much you weigh? And yeah. I only know about ten people in the world that don't care about how much they weigh being announced out loud. My husband does not know how much I weigh. And, um, you know, it's a very private thing, and it's, it's a very sensitive issue. And when you think about teenagers mm -hmm. and women who have just given birth and things like that, very sensitive about their weight, you want it to be private. And yeah. I did work in a place where it wasn't private, and they put up a partition to do so. But that is respecting and also asking the patient to give you information. The, the quicker the patient becomes engaged and the quicker that they trust the privacy and that you're going to listen and react and take care of them. And why not start when you're, when you're weighing in? Yeah. And is this subconscious to the patient? Yes. But when they're in your, in your practice, do they feel secure? Yes. Yeah, see? This, and this is important to that patient experience and also important actually in the patient well-being because yes. it gives them confidence in the providers that the providers are going to help their, their problems. Well, that's that whole partnership of care that we mm -hmm. talk about forever. You know, if, if I trust you're going to take care of me and weigh me in privately and talk to me about nutrition or anything else, by the time I get to my doctor, I'm already comfortable and I know I'm going to be cared for. And then when the physician asks me something, I'm more apt to say it. There's this great sign that you can place next to the scale that says something like, your weight is only um, your measurement of your space against gravity, and that's it. It doesn't, ma it doesn't measure character, love, and all these other wonderful things. It was in an office I was working in. And who would not want to tell everybody anything? I mean, yeah. I totally, you totally accepted me, and now I can tell you anything I want. And that's so important because I think it's 49% of patients withhold information. And I've seen it, um, you've probably seen it, when I used to take my mother-in-law to the doctor, she would practice her walking, and the doctor would say to her, okay, can you walk down the hall? And she would practice it for a week, so she walked beautifully. But as soon as she was home, she couldn't do it anymore. So you do want the visit to be as real as possible so that, that you or anyone else can be helped as much. Also, uh, I think, again, there's other aspects of the practice that give an impression on the patient. You know, a good example would be, what are the forms they're filling out? Are yes. they copies of copies of copies? Yes. Or are they newly printed for that patient in a, you know, on white paper? Remember, 
also are using large enough size type, yes. especially if you have older patients. And of course, with baby boomers now being a larger portion of patients, eyesight becomes more difficult. Are you on white paper, large print? You know, you may have to go to two pages, but don't put it all on one page because can they read and, and, do, and do you give enough room for that patient to complete the form? You may have that form on your, on your portal. Many of, the, of your older patients don't access the information electronically they wait to get in the office and will even come early to fill it out. Yes, yes. And, you know, I like patients having the, their preferences met. You know, we, we all approach things differently. If we do it differently and end up with the same result, that's fine. Some people prefer paper. Some people would rather do it online. You want them to feel most comfortable with their feedback as possible so you get the most honest results and ones where you feel like you really can communicate back and forth. Coming back to that role of the, of the senior manager, have you filled out that form yourself? Does it make sense? Are you using nomenclature or abbreviations that are clinical Yes, and the patient doesn't know what you have? And that's, that's another thing with medicine. And when you're at the high end of the administration, you're going to use terms that no one else uses. And if you want to send a patient letter to all of your patients announcing, announcing a doctor is coming or a doctor is leaving, you want to use language that they can relate to, not the medical terms. And you want them to feel at home. Again, you want to take the fear away. You want them to feel welcome. And you, you want to be accessible. And as a, as a leader, in a high-level leader, a lot of people feel like you are not accessible to talk to. So I would say the first thing that a CEO or CFO or operations manager, anyone in that high level, you want to be personal with your staff, you want to have static meetings, you want to get continual feedback about patients. You can use department heads, you can sit in the lobby for 30 minutes of one of your practices and just listen and learn a lot. There are many ways you can do it, but if you're open to it, you will find a way. That's what I have found. Yeah. In primary care, a major focus of the change to primary care is the patient-centered medical home. Yes. Where the practice focuses on the needs of the patient and communicating those and the, and the practice becomes the center point for that practice for that patient's care through care coordination, management of referrals, and the intent is for that patient to feel secure in the practice, like they would feel secure at home. And part of that PCMH is patient self-care. Yeah. So the patient takes responsibility, they work with the practice, and part of PCMH as well is offering resources, community, getting the family involved. And I think that family members, if they see, for example, with my mom, um, we're all involved with her care now on a daily basis. And when the physicians see that I'm involved with that, with her care, and my sisters are involved in well, it is a continual communicative relationship that I have with the physician and the staff and the more engaged and the more accessible they are, which they are absolutely incredible with my mom, the more grateful I am and I will never go anywhere else for her. In fact, I think you made a very good point and that is sometimes you have to look at the focus of, and focus on these, the patient. Yes. Don't forget the caregiver. Yes. Because a caregiver, and a caregiver could even be remote, that you have an older patient and a son or daughter who is a caregiver yes. or, or may have a third party uh, as home care 
but they're concerned about the needs of their of their parent. And that's a, you you really hit a good point. That's exactly what I'm doing with my mom. So we're all my sisters and I all are able to get into the portal on her behalf. We're all able to converse with the physicians and the helpers and we really feel like we're being taken care of. That is a beautiful patient experience. And we're not even in the same town or city. Yeah. But we're able to know that she's well tended and she knows she's well tended and she's the daughter of a physician. So she doesn't want to see a doctor. So it is, it's very interesting. Yeah. But once you establish that rapport and that relationship, it either goes up or it goes down. And if it goes up and again you feel safe and secure, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, that's the patient manage their own health care. Yes. And sometimes they're managing it themselves. And sometimes they're managing it through their, their son, daughter, or their caregiver. And all yeah. of these venues allow that. These venues like patient portals, um, emails and texts and all these different ways you can communicate add to that relationship. And speaking as again as somebody who's on a high level in that healthcare administratively, if you just look at some of those conversations back and forth, if you review the venues that are available, if you make sure that anything going out on paper looks professional and helpful and clean, that makes a difference. Some of it is really basic stuff and some of it is very high-tech stuff. But patients want a few things from their doctor and their nurses and the front desk. You know, they want a level of technology, they want to be treated like a human, they want a certain level of expertise medically and they want access and they want follow-up and closure. And if you offer these things, that's what helps. I think patients want to have a degree of control over their own health care. Yes. They want to say in the process. And they should, but some patients are afraid, so you should you have be able to bring, to bring it out. that out. You yes. have to bring it out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to ask the patient what they want. Yes. And that's, you know, and oftentimes the patient may, may not initially realize what do they want as their, their desirable outcome. Because unfortunately, not every disease has a cure. Right. And part um, of that is acceptance. Is acceptance. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just asking the patient, what do they want as their best outcome? And, and you, how can yes. you work on this together? Yeah. So I think um, in one of my articles, there's a doctor I work with, Dr. Drossman. I call him the guru of gastro. He asks four questions, and I don't remember all four of them right away, but one of them is, how may I help you? Mm -hmm. How do you think I can help you today? Why are you here? And it's almost like asking for the chief complaint, because people will remember the priority, and that's mm -hmm. what I like. If you have the patient's involvement, I've, it's interesting how often I've heard providers or administrators talk about how do they address the non-compliant patient. Yes. Well, compliance starts with engagement. That's right. And if the patient is engaged and the patient and the doctor have, or, the doc, or the nurse or care coordinator have addressed what the patient's needs are, the patient now is no longer non-compliant the patient is doing what they want. And if they feel their needs are met and they see the value in what you're offering, yeah. and that's clinically and administratively, mm -hmm. if they see that by the notices that are up in the lobby that it's it's about them, it's not about the practice, here's how you can help yourself through flu season, things yeah. like that, and they know that their interest is in the patient, that's what makes the difference. Let's look again, go back to that broad picture. We started mm -hmm. curbside appeal. Yes. We looked at what happens inside practice, mm -hmm. how do we get into the treatment room, what else should a leader be looking at when they view their practice from a patient's perspective? 
I would definitely look at the workflow. You know, the number one thing uh, complaint is patients waiting. And, you know, we've all worked with doctors that patients will wait two hours to be seen, but that's just not appropriate. So I think the people on the higher levels of administration should be able to speak with physicians about time management, how we can help support them working through the workflow. And again, that's where your patient satisfaction scores come back to see what you can work on because it might be absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. Also, I know many practices who are utilizing information from their electronic health record because most EHRs today date stamp. Yes, you track activities. everything. You track that, yeah, yes. That's right, because you track mm -hmm. when did the patient come in. Yes. It's tracked when the vitals were recorded. But that's where the employee engagement comes in that. because the employees have to remember to click every single step. That's right. So when they remember to click every single step, yeah. and then what I say is, Give management those reports, and the way management and, and their staff can bond is you use those reports to show success. Right. You share that with your staff and show, hey, look how we've reduced no-shows. Yeah. Um, we've, we've added to compliance. People are not calling in for well, scripts as well, much, things like that. Yeah. Or what happens is that you may identify a, a problem. Yeah. You know, and then you can address a problem. You don't mm -hmm. need to necessarily berate every staff member. Or no, every, or every, every physician. Provider. That's correct. You find, the, you find the one or two physicians who may have trouble keeping their schedule. Well, why? Is it because they're they're overbooking themselves? Because It could be so many things. Yeah, it could it be, could. I mean, I, I actually shadowed a physician recently, and she's a primary care, but she missed her calling an infectious disease <laughs> because she took so long with each patient. And I would really recommend people in high-level management to do that because... You don't see the other side until you see the other side. Mm -hmm. And again, you see it from the patient's experience side, but you're also thinking in your mind, okay, how can I run things better? How can I set systems in place? How can I use that software package to make it better for my yeah. patients and staff? Yeah. In fact, I think as we've talked about the executive looking at their organization, I'm going to look at how often I've seen books published by doctors who've suffered a malady, and it wasn't until it ha affected them personally they realized the problem and they wrote the book. Or a first-person case study or story that a, their personal experience is important, but it ha they had to wait till it happened to them. As a senior leader, you don't have to wait. As a senior leader, you could ask your friends, tell me about your family's experience in healthcare mm -hmm. and how you would want it to be. Even if they don't want to walk around every single office and make it personal, they can even ask their friends. Yeah. Well, and or I know organizations have hired consultants who are se secret shoppers. I do that. I do. Yeah. And it's, it's enlightening because yeah. you are truly invisible and they do not realize what they're saying in front of you. And you catch good things as well as bad and then you can use that for a training customer service that's truly personalized because every single practice is different. Every approach is different. Every population is different. And if the management team from the bottom to the top has their hands on who your population is, no one knows your practice better than you. Yeah. And if you know your patients and your staff, and their demeanor, and that's the emotional intelligence and geographics and everything else, you'll have a much better tune into your your position. Yeah. yeah. Well, maybe we'll just finish with a short discussion on if, if you're doing good, you also do well. Mm -hmm. Okay. How does all this translate in the economic element to the practice? So, you know, we've all seen the sickest patients being fitted in to a day and they are more than happy to pay their bill. Again, you have to feel the value of that visit 
from how easy is it to place an appointment. If it's a real problem, it becomes a pain and you're in pain, you're automatically kind of resenting having to go. If you know, again, from your past experience, the last time you went, you were taken care of, they followed up, they gave you aftercare instructions, um, they told you you lost two pounds, um, all these great things, you are more apt to remember it in a very pleasant experience and much more apt to remit. I was with my mother and my stepmother. I was with my stepmother in a cancer office, oncology office, and we were waiting to hear her results about how long she was going to live. We had to wait an hour and a half to see the doctor. Their excuse was, we're down a nurse. And if you think they got a dime out of us at the end of that visit, they did not because we were so upset by the time we left if they had handled it a different way. And remember, too, that bad experiences can be buffered by other staff. If the receptionist had just said to my stepmother, I'm so sorry you had to wait such a long time, that would have taken care of it. So working as a team as at the front desk, working with the nursing, if people see you working as a team, all coordinated and collaborative care, that's what really makes the difference because you know that everyone is involved in your care and they they will think, wow, this place is run really well yeah. and that's what you want. Great, very good comment. Thank you. Susan, thank you very much. I appreciate the time and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Thank you.